This is the John Oakley Show podcast. On a great day for talk radio, it's one of those days as well where uh, it's been brought to my attention anyway that uh, for the first time this government has placed right-wing extremist groups on its list of outlawed terrorist organizations, adding the names of Blood and Honor and Combat 18. Uh, These were announced in the government's Canada Gazette, and the action came after CSIS said in a report on Friday it had increased its posture on the far right. Let's find out who these people are and why we ought to be wary, nervous, and they deserve to be on the list. David Perry weighing in. He's the CEO of Investigative Solutions Network and Global News Radio's Crime and Security Analyst. David, good to have you back on the show. Good afternoon. Good to be here. Good afternoon. All right. Uh, what do you know about these individuals, uh, these groups, and uh, do they actually uh, merit consideration for being on this uh I guess, hate group list. Well, I think they do. And as we've seen by especially attacks that have happened in the United States, we hear the term homegrown terrorism quite frequently. And this group of people would fit well into that category. And and hence the the change that we heard announced today. And I think it's probably a good thing because, uh, you know, anybody that is that extreme and and threatens our country's uh, security and and the safety of the public, uh, there's no other way to term it than, than they're a terrorist group. Well, who are they? Uh, by what dint, uh, you said, you know, there are some, uh, I guess, things that have been done in the United States, but elsewise, because I've not been familiar with this group. I guess I don't frequent those sites, certainly, but uh, have they d- any presence in Canada? Uh, have they done anything wreaking havoc in Canada? Not that I've heard of recently, but... Um, you know, in my view, they're an extension of, uh, you know, some of the typical anarchy or anarchist groups that we've seen popping up for probably three decades in uh, in Canada. <clears throat> they're extremely right-wing. Their uh, ideologies uh, include, you know, uh, anything that's against the government, against the state, and they're not afraid to use whatever means possible to get their message across, in- including violence. And you know, if you look through the definition of terrorism, it actually fits in there quite neatly. Yeah, my understanding is uh, that in Germany, uh, I guess back in June, or earlier this month, rather, uh, Combat 18 uh, were, I guess, uh, considered to be uh, guilty of uh, killing a German pro-refugee politician. That was one thing. Uh, who And uh, the group was linked to Combat 18. Combat 18 and uh, Blood and Honor sort of, sharing a kinship then, I guess, of hate? Yeah, and I think all these groups do, and you, you hit the nail right on the head. They're not just a, a North American problem. They're, they're a problem that is cropped up in countries across the globe. And, you know, they're, they are the true homegrown terrorist uh, groups that, again, will, because of their ideology, they will use whatever means, including extreme violence, up to murder and uh and mass murder and and all kinds of other terroristic acts to get their message across. So it's good to see that they're taking steps to to be able to, under legislation, manage them a lot better. Well, is it illegal to even belong to such a group? It's not illegal to belong to such a group, and especially here in Canada. Your rights uh, usually far more outweigh anything that's illegal, but uh, the activities that spurn out of these groups um, to fall within the definition of terrorism. And I know we've talked about this before. You know, sometimes like the Danforth shooting is a good example where people, me included, all believe that it's a terrorist act. But at the end of the day, they couldn't come up with any motive for, for this horrible incident. So it's not even 
it's not even deemed a terrorist act. And I do understand that. Um, on the other hand, this group fits into the other category where the things that they may be doing or planning to do, and certainly if they do act out on it in a violent way, fits well into the definition of terrorism. And, uh, and therefore, there are special sections of the criminal code to deal with people like that. Okay, because I wasn't exactly clear if uh, just belonging to a uh, terrorist group, by definition, uh, means you're outlawed. Uh, and with it doesn't. No, you can you can belong to these groups. It's the action that you take, and of course, there's only so many resources. Uh, you know, whether it's the RCMP, CSIS, or municipal policing, there are only so many resources to monitor the activity of these people. And I, I think in this country we do a decent job, and there's no criticism attached to that. But uh, on the other hand, you can't be on every chat group and every every network. You know, through throughout that massive world of the internet, and people do slip through the cracks once in a while, and that's usually when we see an incident. But uh, you know, a group like this, I can tell you, would be under very close scrutiny by the appropriate law enforcement agencies, and hopefully, you know, the the purpose is to thwart any kind of an act and get them, you know, arrested before they commit a violent act. All right, so they're on a watch. Uh, David Perry's with us, CEO of Investigative Solutions Network and also Global News Radio's crime and security analyst. It was interesting because I was reading a quote from Bernie Farber. He's the uh, chair of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, and he said these groups are extremely violent neo-Nazi organizations and said he hoped other far-right groups would be criminalized as well. And while, you know, it's a sentiment that we can all understand, is there a risk in all of this? I mean, how far do you take it when you start criminalizing groups? I mean, I, I'm hoping that somebody uh, has, you know, very established criteria that makes sense rather than letting it, uh, you know, become a slippery slope. How do you feel? Yeah, that's a good point. And, of course, we don't want to upset the balance of the justice system in a way that appears to be unfair to anybody, even some of these radical groups. Uh, motorcycle gangs have operated in Canada for decades as, as organized crime, and they've been challenged in court one way or another in terms of being, you know, deemed as unlawful because of uh, the activity. And this one will be tested in the courts. Uh, we'll see what the uh, Charter writes and the, the rulings that come out of some of the initial charges that we'll see sometime in the future, because there will be an act. There is something they're going to do that will warrant charges. And and then the uh, the courts will have to fight out on both sides whether or not the, the, the law is legal on that and whether they can be deemed as a criminal organization or a terrorist group. But, you know, when it when it comes to that, you know, outward hate for people, and it doesn't matter if it's based on race, religion, or whatever, that can potentially lead to violence, and that, that's what makes these people grow and thrive. Personally, I don't have any issue with them being as a criminal organization or a terrorist organization. Interestingly as well, on the terror list, uh, three Shia militant groups supported by Iran. The Al-Ashtar Brigades, Harakat al-Sabirin, and the Fetimiyum uh, Division, which, again, these are folks who uh, foment unrest and are, are looking anyway uh, with the Al-Ashtar Brigades to overthrow Bahrain's Sunni uh, monarchy. So this is kind of stuff that uh, might be happening a half a world away, but if there are tentacles reaching into Canada, uh, we are very, we should be wary and uh, keep a watchful eye on these individuals. Yeah, we should. I mean, it's not like we haven't seen it. I'm not in my recent recollection coming up with something other than uh, the obvious. Anytime there's any kind of a protest, uh, you get these neo-Nazi radical individuals showing up and they don't care what the cause is. They're just, they're just there to cause mayhem and, and to cause 
a disturbance and uh, and to act on some violence. So they're an interesting group in terms of their thinking. Violence is their their credo, if you will, and they they will do whatever they have to do to get their message across, no matter who it impacts. So it's good that the Canadian government is taking steps to put them on a watch list and to you know highly highly supervise them and hopefully, again, to thwart any act that they might be planning for the future. Yeah. Well, you know, you get no disagreement from me as far as these anarchists and Antifa types also should be lumped in there as far as I'm concerned. On another matter, let me ask you about the story that came out uh, where the police, through Crime Stoppers, offering offering $50,000 for information leading to the arrest of a suspect in a shooting in a Scarborough playground uh, just about a year ago, left two young girls wounded, nine and five years of age, 11 people in the playground at the time. Uh, they're looking for an individual now. They've got uh, three others arrested and ready to go to court. But uh, Taquan Robertson, 24, wanted for attempted murder and aggravated assault. And this reward that was posted about a year later, $50,000, not an insignificant amount. Uh, is this something that, uh, you know, maybe should have happened sooner? Or uh, how does that work? Crime Stoppers or anything uh, is supposed to be an anonymous tip line when somebody calls that tip in uh, to qualify for the reward, do they have to give evidence in court or uh, walk me through that? Yeah, normally for Crime Stoppers, you, you do have to testify in court or you have to provide information that is helpful not only in the arrest but the conviction of the individual. So I think BOLO is a similar organization. They're still fairly new. Um, <clears throat> I've been around uh, offers for rewards in cases that I've worked for decades and it's it's a case-by-case scenario on, you know, if you should offer one in the first place, and if so, how much, and if so, when do you do that? As investigators, generally speaking, we don't like rewards to come too early because you get a lot of tips that maybe are just have nothing to do with your investigation, but you still have to run all those tips down and it causes an awful lot of work. But in a case like this where the case is, is you know, it's really is it, – as said by the deputy chief, it's it's really wrapped up. It's ready to go to court. We just need the body. It, it's fairly, uh, in my view, fairly appropriate to put out a a reward at this time in the hopes that somebody that uh, you know knows where he is or has some information that'll lead to arrest will will make the call. Fifty thousand dollars is not an insignificant amount of money. So even people that may be deemed as uh, associates or friends of his may be uh, tempted by that kind of an offer, and that's what they're going after. Finally, rewards work then? Rewards, yeah, they, they, they sometimes work. I, you know, I, I go back you know, decades, and I, I honestly can't come up with an example of where a reward actually worked. But if you didn't offer the reward, it'd be almost like that last little checkbox that you didn't knock off on your investigative list that uh, either to solve the case or, in this case, to make the arrest, that you, you didn't do everything possible. And at this point... A year later, they can't find this guy. So this is sort of one of those last steps, if you will, to offer up a reward and ask the public for their assistance. And I understand they've got till December 25th until this expires. So that's a lot of time for somebody to think about sitting on $50,000 and by picking up a telephone that uh, leads to the arrest could uh, change their life. So that's what the, the police are hoping for. Oh, what a Merry Christmas it would be. Uh, yeah, wouldn't somebody, it? Yeah, yes, indeed. If I knew, I'd be calling right now. Yeah, sure, I wouldn't be waiting uh, for sure. But you know what? I was just suggesting that uh, somebody, I guess the police were saying, if you come across this individual, call 911. I think I'm calling the tip line first, making sure I'm solid for the 50K. Then I call 911. Yeah, I might want to handle that one a little bit differently too, but 
of course, because of the the violent nature and so on, and the nine one one's the right the right response. But you know what? I mean, if somebody drops that dime and makes that call, they're they're going to be properly taken care of. That's what the whole reward system is there for. Nobody would have any issue with paying writing that check and and making sure that people were were made whole for their efforts in getting this guy apprehended. I got you. It's a charity that put up the money, by the way. David Perry, CEO of Investigative Solutions Network and Global News Radio's Crime and Security Analyst. Much appreciated as always, David. Thank you. Anytime. You have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.